0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is Healthlink on Air. The pandemic has affected how people undergo screening for certain cancers whose successful treatment depends on early diagnoses. Here to discuss this trend is Laura Shad. She's the executive coordinator of the Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Upstate, and she was the project manager for a study of screening rates for breast cervical and colorectal cancers. Welcome to Healthlink on Air, Laura.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, if I understand correctly, for six years before 2020, so starting in 2014, three New York State practice-based research networks were working on strategies to improve screening rates for breast, cervical, and colorectal cancers. And then the pandemic happened. So, why is the focus on improving screening rates for these cancers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Thank you for that question. And as you mentioned, um, this has been a project that we've been working on for several years. So just for a little context here um, in the United States, our screening rates for breast, cervical and colorectal cancer are often below our national targets. Even though there's plenty of evidence to support the effectiveness of these preventive screenings, and this problem is often worse in disadvantaged populations within our society. So, this is true in New York State and the New York State Department of Health was um, decided to target primary care practices who serve these disadvantaged populations, which we call safety net practices to engage them in improving their screening rates within their patient populations. So, in response to this call, 3 of our practice based research networks, or PBRNs um, across Western and central New York. Partnered to provide some quality improvement strategies for colorectal, breast, and cervical cancers to increase screenings. So our PBRN here in Syracuse at Upstate partnered with PBRN in Rochester and one in Buffalo. And we had facilitators in each region go into the primary care practices and work with a practice champion to help implement strategies that could improve these screening rates. And we focus specifically on breast, cervical, and colorectal cancers because they are common in the United States and they're contributors to leading causes of death. But more so, they also have the best evidence that prevention in the form of screening and therefore early detection prevents deaths from these cancers, more so um, than the preventive evidence that's out there for other cancers.
0: So let's talk a little about how these screenings are done. Now, breast cancer is mammograms, right? Right. Yes, what about cervical and colorectal? How are those screenings done?
1: Sure. So the United States Preventive Services Task Force, or the USPSTF, and the American Cancer Society, the ACS, they both have some guidelines for these screenings, and they're very similar, but they differ in a few key areas, mainly in the ages that screenings should start. So, I'll focus on the USPSTF guidelines. And as you mentioned, for breast cancer, that is a recommendation of a mammogram every other year, beginning at age 50 and going through age 74. For cervical cancer screening, the USPSTF recommends a pap smear every 3 years, beginning at age 21 and going until age 65. Now, cervical cancer screening is slightly more complex than a few of our other cancer screenings, and there's a whole variety of testing options that I won't get into um, today, but the pap smear is what's recommended. For colorectal cancer, the USPSTF recommends screening beginning at 50 and continuing through 75. Historically, they had recommended a colonoscopy every 10 years. But there are other ways to test for colorectal cancer and due to advances in some of these tests, like our fit kit and other modalities, they don't, they no longer place the emphasis on a type of screening, but rather just getting the screening done. Now, are most of these screenings covered by insurance? Yes. Um, In New York State, most insurance plans, including Medicaid, um, they must cover breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer screenings at no cost to the patient. And the New York State Department of Health also offers free breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer screening to underinsured and uninsured eligible men and women through their cancer services program.
0: So, uh, cost is not a factor to getting people to have these tests done. Um, How effective are they? Do they do a good job of catching cancer?
1: They do. They are very effective, and there's plenty of evidence to support that in the literature. And like I mentioned, these three cancers have been our focus because there is the most evidence out there that they prevent the most death um, when you can catch these um, cancers early via screening.
0: Now, what success did these 12 safety net primary care practices have in improving screening From 2014 to 2019 before the pandemic, were they making
1: inroads and getting the numbers increased. They were so, as I mentioned, our practices in this project primarily serve disadvantaged populations. So, those safety net practices Um, and what we saw was that success in improving screening rates varied greatly among our practices, which wasn't a huge surprise to us. Um, overall, though, we did see that practices had the best success in improving their colorectal cancer screening rates. Um, they also succeeded in improving breast cancer rates. What we saw with cervical cancer was a lot of variability between our practices and that's due in part to the complexity of some of the guidelines for cervical cancer screening, but also the fact that a lot of individuals seek this screening at an outside OB-GYN facility and our project focused on primary care.
0: This is Upstate's HealthLink air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Laura Shad. She's the executive coordinator of the Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Upstate, and she was the project manager for a study into the screening rates during the pandemic for breast, cervical, and colorectal cancers. So let's talk about what happened after the pandemic began. Did you see a significant change in the number of patients who were following screening guidelines?
1: So surprisingly, no. And um, the majority of our practices, they were able to maintain steady rates of patient adherence to screening guidelines, even when a lot of our practices closed, especially during the early months of the pandemic and patients couldn't necessarily come into the office for these screenings. So, as the pandemic continued and practices began to adjust to this new normal, they started to get really creative in ways to reach their patients and then. Um, They also were able to start seeing patients again in office for some of these screenings as the months continued. So we really didn't see a huge change among our practices.
0: Now, I've heard that nationally more than a third of adults have not received the recommended screenings for their associated age and risks during the pandemic, and that more than 40% of patients have missed or postponed preventive appointments because of the pandemic. Do you have any sense for how much of this is because people are afraid of being exposed to the virus by going to a medical office?
1: Yeah, so with our project, um, I do believe that people were afraid of contracting the virus from a visit to a medical office, but we didn't talk to patients in this project. We specifically focused at the practice level. So on the practice level, I can certainly attest that offices had concerns about the virus being in their practices and spreading in their practices. And state guidelines reflect the concerns of these practices. So I'm sure that there were patient concerns, um, but while I can't speak directly to that, I know for a fact that practices were concerned about the virus.
0: Is there any way to calculate how many cancers are being missed when people are not getting screened?
1: So, this isn't exactly what we studied and it's a pretty complicated um, calculation, but it is possible. And 1 of the methods you could use to determine this would be a, a comparison period where you would look at a number of individuals who were tested, say, a few years back. Over the same period of months, and you would compare that to the number of individuals who were tested during the pandemic and we know how many cancers are detected via screenings. So, what we could do would be extrapolate on that and we could determine the number of excess deaths from missed screenings during the pandemic. So there's a few um, studies that have started to do this, and one of them estimates that there were about 4,000 excess deaths nationally from colorectal cancer during this time. And this really underscores how important it was for practices to try and maintain their screening rates.
0: I understand a couple of the practices that are part of the study you were involved in had no change in the frequency of screenings. Then some of them reported major decreases. What affected whether a practice was able to continue screening at the same rate or not?
1: Sure. So, practices who um, historically have populations at higher risk for COVID-19, these populations would include um, the homeless, refugees, and elderly, those practices really encouraged their healthy patients to stay home. And we also had a handful of practices who focus on serving transient populations and they had a whole host of challenges with their populations. Um, I can't go into too much detail about those specifically because of um, the identity of the practices needs to be protected. But as we know, some offices also closed entirely for periods of time during this and many um, saw reduced staffing, either from staff being sick and out of work or staff being reassigned to hospitals to help with the overwhelming need there. A few of our practices did use this time where they were seeing less less patients to improve their preventive screenings by cleaning up some patient data and some of their patient records. So they would know, um, they'd have a better idea as to who was eligible for screenings and who was due. And a couple of practices also filmed some screening tutorial videos that they can use even after the pandemic. And then telemedicine also was a big um, win for some of our practices during this time. However, telemedicine also presented problems for practices who have patient populations who might not necessarily have access or the means to use the technology for telemedicine. So, what we saw with telemedicine was if practices had used it before the pandemic, they had more success with it during it.
0: Let's talk about colorectal cancer screening specifically. Are home test kits an adequate substitute for colonoscopies and were those used more during the pandemic because they're done at home?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, uh, at home test kit, fit kit is a great option for testing at home. Um, if a primary care physician or other provider managing screening chooses a fit test as screening option, it certainly follows the recommendations and guidelines. A lot of our practices did choose this method For colorectal cancer screening, because they didn't involve the patient coming into the office. They were able to mail it out to the patient's home, which helps increase their um, number of screenings for colorectal cancer. Um, That said, I do think that um, it's important to note that patients should talk to their primary care provider about their individual risk for colorectal cancer to determine which screening is best for them.
0: Are practices still recommending patients with um, certain symptoms or certain risk factors? Are they still able to do colonoscopies during the pandemic for people who absolutely need them?
1: So certainly during the height of the pandemic, services were a lot more limited, especially when offices were closed. Um, And to be honest, this does mean that patients didn't get screened. However, what we saw was that a lot of these practices avoided the drastic drops in the number of patients who were screened by mailing out fit kits, and they've seemed to catch up now to the rates that they um, had before the pandemic.
0: Now, what about breast cancer screening? Were the mammogram centers um, open during the pandemic?
1: A lot of our practices actually utilize um, what are mobile mammography vans or buses in the communities that they serve. And these um, units, often um, provide an uh, alternative to going into an office. So they have, um, they address access issues as well as increasing the number of patients who can be screened by an office. And during the pandemic, what happened with these mobile units is that a lot of them had to be reassigned from mammography to COVID-19 testing units. So several of our practices lost the ability to use these mobile mammography vans during the height of the pandemic. And as testing Um, Became more prevalent and we got adjusted a little more many of our practices did regain access to these mobile units and they have um, stated that they were able to catch up once they regained access to these units and that they are almost all, if not completely caught up um, to those who missed their screenings early on in the pandemic.
0: Now, cervical cancer screening, I think, means an in person doctor visit, right? Or is there an alternative to the pap smear?
1: Yeah, so cervical cancer screening um, with a pap smear does need to be done in office and the alternative would be an HPV test, but that also does need to be done in office. All right, well,
0: what are some public health lessons that you think can be learned from this pandemic experience?
1: I think what's important here is to note that despite these drastic changes that a lot of our practices faced with their operations when COVID-19 hit and restrictions started to take effect, our primary care practices were able to shift their focus um, from their traditional in office screenings and really support screenings outside of the typical in office visit. And so with a little bit of creativity and the use of some evidence based tools and interventions, we didn't see a drastic drop in screening like we thought we might um, do to the pandemic and practices had a lot of innovative ways to combat. The restrictions that they were facing. So, as I mentioned, we had practices who updated their data systems and patient records, um, practices who implemented telemedicine, and practices who just found new ways to adapt to screenings. And I think if practices were able to maintain their screening rates during this pandemic, um, we can only imagine what they can do now going forward with this newfound knowledge when um, there's finally no longer a pandemic.
0: Wow, well thank you so much to Laura Shad from Upstate's Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, Health Link on Air.